Welcome to the last Wednesday of the week, the multi-tool of sports podcasts. We're back. It's Wednesday and I'm joined by Simon and Ben again. On this week's show, we're going to take actually just a little bit of a breather. What a month of sport it's been. And of course, on most people's lips, in most people's ears and through most people's eyes has been the Euros. So, of course, we will uh, get into that, specifically uh, talking about England and that final game against Italy. We're going to get into that a bit later. We've also got Wimbledon, uh, Tour de France, UFC, NBA, Formula One, more basketball, a bit of golf. And, and more exciting things to announce as well. So despite there being a bit of a one-track mind sport-wise over the last month and wanting to settle down just a little, sport stops for no person. So this is the last Wednesday of the week. On with the show. Hey! Simon, Ben, hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Did you ever think you would get to the other side of the Euros in one piece? I don't think I did. <laughs> it, I'm what, knackered. It felt like a long month, didn't it? And how much of that were you happy for? Uh, the majority of it, let's be honest. Eight, 80, bought... or 80 odd percent, I would say. Yeah. And how yeah. good is that? Yeah. Mm. It, for, a, it for a tournament like that? We're going to yeah. get into it. We're going to get into the Euros later on because there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of great stuff to talk about. Yes, we didn't get the result we wanted, but still so much positive to take away and so much commentary still to be had about where we're at now and what where, where England goes from here. So we will get into that. If you want to join our conversation, do find us on Twitter at WednesdayPod. We're also on Instagram at WednesdayPod. We'd love to have you along on either of those platforms. And don't forget to share this with your friends, like, subscribe, rate, etc. Etc. Right before we get into the Euros, we've got we've had there are some other sports to talk about. Ben, uh, let's kick off with you. Um, a couple of other things happened at the weekend, and and some stuff still going on, isn't it? Yeah, it was um, it was an odd weekend because it's been clouded by one sport, one event, obviously. Uh, but earlier on Sunday, before the uh, European Cup final. European Championships final. Uh, there was a big tennis match. Uh, Novak Djokovic against uh, Mario Berrettini for Wimbledon. Shock, shock horror. Djokovic <laughs> won again. So uh, that was Djokovic's 21st Grand Slam match this year and his 21st victory. Wow. He is seven matches away from completing the calendar Grand Slam. Uh, I don't think it's been done in the open era, if I'm right, as a, as a male tennis player. I know um, Steffi Graf, I think, did it. Uh, but he's now going to chase, not Steffi Graf, rather, Margaret Court. I think he's now going to chase Margaret Court's record down. He's equaled Federer and, and Nadal 20 slams. Equaled 60 slams between three players before Federer beat uh, Sampras at Wimbledon 20 years ago. Uh, Sampras was on 14 and they never thought that might be beat by anyone three players on 20 the big three we, we've literally spoken about this on previous podcasts I, I cannot stress to people how impressive this is Dan so Ben uh, do we think is he the best ever <sighs> 
might be if he wins five mm. more. I mean, for me, uh, Roger Federer is the best. Roger Federer changed men's tennis. He was the the catalyst for this new generation. Rafael Nadal's the best player uh, that Clay has ever seen. No doubt. He's won 13 there, and that will never be beaten. Um, but Djokovic, uh, listen, if he if he plays till uh, the age of Federer at 40 and wins one slam a year till then, he'll finish on 25. He's probably going to win. He could win 10 more. He could get to 30. I know that number is crazy. Or, or, and I stress this, he could get to 21, and then the foot comes off the gas. Yeah, so he, I, he's, he's, he's a bit of a controversial figure, isn't he? He's, he's not well-liked. He's a bit Marmite for, for many fans, because Federer and Nadal pretty universally liked and, and loved, but Djokovic has has a bit of challenge around that area. Um, and there's a little something I didn't know about him as well, which was he was uh, working in his is it his dad's pizza parlor or something and just decided he wanted to play tennis at that point and went, I want to, you know, go off and away he did. So kudos to him. You know, he's he, he's done the work. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say from pizza restaurant to Wimbledon, Dan. He okay, was playing they, they, tennis. They were from selling the, age... the romance to me, and it worked. <laughs> yeah, he was playing <laughs> tennis from the age of three. He was exceptional. Uh, one big thing to know about Novak uh, before I come to you, Simon, is um, he he was struggling to break into the top ten, really struggling around two thousand and eight, and he sat down with a dietitian and also some holistic doctors. And said, listen, what can I do? What can I do with my body? How can I get to the level uh, that Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal uh, and coming into that time Murray have provided, uh, have made? That level, the, the platform, the, the heights. Uh, he went vegan, completely vegan. And you know, changed his whole uh, workout regime and his food. And you'll actually see all the tennis players, they'll be having those, uh, you know, those uh, gel pouches that you see these superstars eat. Um, you know, they, they have the marathon and stuff. He's eating dates and bananas and all of these fresh, you know, nuts during the, during whole the, the, whole the foods. between. All whole foods. And he, he literally just went soaring. He won his first slam, won another couple of years later, then started to dominate in the mid-10s. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, at Wimbledon, it's great as well because you can actually have food growing on the side of the court when you're about <laughs> to eat. Um, but I had a few other things to say. I've kind of jotted them all down. Um, first of all, welcome back to me, uh, Simon. You were very missed last week. And yeah, we forgot back. about that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my God. We disgraceful. <laughs> I'm back. Welcome. Welcome. I mean, thank you, everyone. Um also, Dan, what's Marmite? I mean, we are a very, very widely travelled podcast. You probably need to be a little bit more specific as to what Marmite is. Yeast extract-based condiment that goes well on largely anything as a foodstuff. There's, there's very few things Marmite doesn't go well with. Although it's you either like it or you don't, quite frankly, isn't it? And yeah, you, I, well, you're I'm, either right or wrong. So, you know, it's, ooh, it's one of those things. Shots fired. <laughs> anyway, back to what we were talking about before I got slightly distracted. Um, he has been obviously lucky with injuries. I mean, he has had the odd injury himself, but he's managed to kind of persevere. But you could argue in the race for best ever, I mean, uh, Federer and Nadal have had to overcome some horrific injuries, which has obviously probably helped him. I'm not saying you should take that away from him because you you only play the level of competition, you know, you're playing against. So whether they're not there there or there or not, it's still a remarkable achievement to win a Grand Slam. But at the same point, obviously, it has helped with his numbers for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I do understand that injury side of things. And yes, Nadal and Federer have had a couple of years out within within you know the, the period that they've been playing. But Djokovic looks after his body at a level that, I'll be honest, Rafael Nadal and Federer, incredible, incredible athletes. Djokovic has this elasticity almost. It's hard to explain just how agile he is. He's the greatest returner in, in the history of the game. Um, up there with Andy Murray for that. It broke Andy Murray's body playing at that level. And Djokovic seems to be able to just continue to do it, which is why it puts a little bit of fire underneath the chance of him getting to 30 because he just looks so good. I'll be honest, he lost a set. He won He won the final in four sets. He didn't get out of third gear. Yeah, yeah, we've seen it before and we'll, we'll see it again. He's 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 got that level to go, hasn't he? He's, he's always got something else, and maybe that's the diet, you know. Maybe that's giving him the edge. It's not uncommon across athletes at the moment, isn't it, that kind of diet, and we'll I'll come back to that in a minute. So, Ben, from from record-breaking uh, movements around the grass court to, to record-breaking on two wheels, we're potentially seeing history being made on the Tour de France, aren't we, at the moment? We have seen history being made. We are possibly going to see it be rewritten uh remarkable different oh, very different you say, say that again i like that say what it again say? say it again exactly as you said it that's a soundbite <laughs> you should put that on your cv from, you'll have to get it from the first bit um the <laughs> we talked we talked about Djokovic and his kind of this imperious ways on the on the court uh he just dominates everyone. Cavendish has been out in the cold. We're talking about Mark Cavendish, the absolute um, machine from the Isle of Man. He is one of the great uh, Tour de France cyclists, one of the great sprinters in the history of uh, road cycling, and a warrior. And he was out in the cold, um, and he was he was on the short list, so he was on basically the backup list for the uh, the Sunink Quick Step team. And, and one of the riders, one of the sprinters pulled out, and so he got he got drafted in. And I'll be honest, no one expected Mark Cavendish to win a stage, <clears throat> let alone, is it four now? I think it's, sorry, three now? He's, yeah. He was on 31. He's had three wins. He's equaled the record at 34, and that's Eddie Merckx's record of stage wins at the Tour de France. Now, they're currently in the mountains. I think a lad called Conrad won today. Don't know too much about him, but yeah, Patrick Conrad, he was, he's, a, he's an Austrian. Uh, and he went off the front today. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, behind him, though, Michael Matthews uh, did very well. So Michael Matthews is chasing Cavendish now for the green jersey. The green jersey in Tour de France is given to the points leaders, and they're the people who win sections or win stages, basically. Um, it's remarkable. Mark Cavendish is... I mean, dominating. He's got um, a lead-out guy called uh, Morkov. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is when he comes to the last kilometer, there's a guy, this guy called uh, Michael Murkov, Morkov, um, who basically goes in front of him and rides as hard as he can to draft and to give that aerodynamic edge to Mark Cavendish. And the reason he is so good is because this lead-out guy is just having a tour of his life. Now, Cavendish has got to get through the mountain stages. We've got a couple of big stages coming up because he has to be within a time limit. So he has to stay on the tour effectively. So he's got to suffer for a couple of days and then he will have a chance and he may well have it on the Champs-Élysées in the final Tour de France stage of his career to beat the great Merckx's record. 
listen, tune into the Tour de France. It's cool. People need to get behind road cycling. I, I just want to, I mean, it has been pouring down for a year in England, but I just want to get a bike and go out on the road and, and, yeah. and be a Tour de France wanker. I really, really do. <laughs> and all like reclad and off you go. <laughs> yeah, I want hey, all um, the gear and no idea. <laughs> we uh, and these hills—they're not—they're not little hills, are they? Got the next two days. There, I'm just looking here. So tomorrow's got yeah. a couple of summits of about 1,500 meters before the final climb uh, of 16 kilometers. I think it is. Um, and then, uh, then there's a, a 2,100. Uh, meter summit uh, followed by a, a hill finish as well these are big 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 hills they're going up um, and then yeah three flat stages to to the Champs-Élysées yeah and they're not just quick quick spikes we're talking about yeah. um, a prolonged yeah. gradients of um, 10% or more and 10% yeah. gradient might not sound like a lot but that is energy sapping um, the current, my uh, yellow... wouldn't get up it <laughs> the, well listen it, i mean I, I wouldn't be able to walk up it over a couple of days but um the current leader in the yellow jersey is a guy called pagacha and he is very strong but there will be attacks in the next two days there will be massive yellow jersey general classification attacks i'm, I'm gonna be yeah. gripped it's been a tour um right so moving on to um Cy, you've got some stuff for us uh fighting talk to us about fighting because there's been stuff going on in the ufc right yeah i mean that's that's a very interesting thing there's been a lot of fighting in the streets of london as well but we'll talk about that later <laughs> um, Ooh, there it is yeah and also i can vouch for your persia as well dan um so hey, it got uh, fixed <laughs> <laughs> so um <laughs> UFC. There was a big uh, fight this week between, um, it was actually the third fight they'd had actually, Dustin Poirier, and that's my attempt at pronouncing his surname, and Conor McGregor, the uh, loudest mouth in the world. Um, and it ended in a bit of an anticlimax with um, Conor McGregor breaking his leg towards the end of round one um, in a pretty gruesome, gruesome injury. I mean, I don't. I, you know, I'd never wish an injury on anybody, but if it had to happen to anybody, it's probably good that it happened to Conor McGregor because he is an awful human being. But, um, <laughs> you can't say yeah, that. I can't. You... I can. I just did. Sorry. Um, it's because you can't run sorry. after him right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, could, I could probably, you know, score a few points off him now. I just tried to stay away from him. Oh my um, anyway. If, if this podcast got into the wrong gears, Simon, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway um yeah it was a horribly disgusting break um uh has it put an end to that saga that that trilogy of fights probably not oh yeah uh ben showing me an image now um and that is that does not look great that's uncomfortable um, they think it came from a checked kick during the fight uh, uh, and then at some point when he tried to plant his leg it basically went the wrong way around um he broke his tibia and fibula so that's a pretty complex fracture uh, of two bones uh, and yeah he could be out he's actually been medically suspended for six months but obviously we don't know how long it's going to take him to recover and you know will he ever have confidence in that leg again he Plus, wants another fight against Poirier um was mouthing off as he was getting treated and getting his leg set being disrespectful to Poirier's wife um just being the awful human being that he is uh and, so if he yeah if he gets metal work put in what does that mean for his career is he allowed to go back because surely that's potentially it's like having shin pads on 
I mean, like possibly, ones. but the thing is, though, um, the metalwork they tend to use isn't is not like a big sheet of metal or something. You don't <laughs> become like Wolverine down there. It's effectively like, That's like disappointing. more like more like Meccano or something. I would think. You know, having in my job seen it quite regularly. Um, you know, the putting in of plates and stuff. Uh, I, I believe you can because um, you know, looking at some other fighters over the years, have had horrendous leg breaks. Uh, I've come back and fought again. So, um, yeah, I think it must be allowed under some law uh, as long as they can medically prove and be medically cleared by the doctors. So, yeah, yeah. so he, he will potentially come back. Um, I think he wants to come back. I can't see it being the end of his career. He's too much of a showman. He's too much of a uh, a publicist for himself. Uh, I think he'll fight at some point, but whether it'll be at the same standard is another thing because that is a nasty break to come back from. Yeah, apparently the surgery went well today. He uh, released on social media. If anyone can come back from this, it is McGregor. Whether you like him or not, he's a ferocious competitor. Uh, and I think he will go for the fourth uh, against Poirier. And quite frankly, he'll probably lose it anyway because I think he was. I don't think he was going to win the match. He said he was, he was losing. Come back. He was losing. He was losing. He was losing. Um, and I mean, surely you want adamantium over meccano is that an option <laughs> do you get that on the nhs where was did he have the, the surgery you might have to yeah. go private yeah, uh, okay. there's, uh, yeah see professor x he'll sort you out uh yes yeah, so sorry on to um more team-based sports um potentially less aggressive but not always um basketball are the mm. sun's gonna do it Sai? well if you'd see the malice in the palace you'd know that it's not always particularly uh uh, uneventful and, and not lacking any violence. Uh, that was a big fight, by the way, in in, a, in a, one of the arenas. Um, so was that uh, in the palace? We still got. It was. I can't remember what the name of the ground, <laughs> uh, the uh, stadium is now. So I'm trying to uh, gloss over it. Was the palace? Um, it was definitely a palace. I think was it might have been Dallas. Mace? No, not Dallas. It might have been in uh, Detroit. Anyway, anywho, so a neglected sport. Palace in Dallas. Sorry, come on. Crystal Palace Malice, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, basically the NBA playoffs. uh, Still going, still going. So we've had an entire tournament, a European football tournament, in the time it's taken to get through the playoffs. So uh, crazy as that is. Um, Yeah, Suns 2-1 up, but they got pretty much run out of the um, stadium in their last game. Uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think the Bucks will win the next one. So I think it's anyone's series. And I think it could end up at a seven-game a seven game series, which would be a very dramatic end to the whole thing. I think it's one of the letdowns of basketball. Sometimes you can have like a 4-0, uh, you know, four games to nil drubbing, mm. and it's just a bit of a letdown. But yeah, if this goes seven games, it's going to be a classic. But So the last game, uh, I, I know I mean, you'll, you'll tell us about it, but I think mm-hmm. Antetokounmpo uh, was fantastic, posted mm-hmm. 43 points or something. Uh, but th- it was in Milwaukee, right? So the first two mm-hmm. games were, were in Phoenix. That This mm-hmm. one was in Milwaukee. The next one's in Milwaukee. Where's the where's the seventh? Where's game seven? So um, the Phoenix Suns were the second seed in the West and the Milwaukee Bucks were the third seed in the East. So technically the superior seeding is Phoenix. So okay. they get the advantage of playing the first two games at home and if it gets there, the last game at home. So effectively, it goes 2-2, 1-1-1, effectively. Okay. So, you know, re- reversing, rotating between the, the stadiums. Um, and obviously, that's a bit of a journey as well, if you think about it, because that's it's quite the flight from Phoenix to Milwaukee. That's, you know, basically about two-thirds of the country. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's going to be a great one. And, I'm you know, now we've got no football apart from preseason friendlies, which we'll talk about later, um, to look forward to. Um, yeah, it's going to be my number one focus for the time being, I think. Yeah, I think I'm going to tune in and, and sort of uh, 
glory watch basically the last uh, great matches. Where is Milwaukee? It's kind of, uh, it's west of uh, Chicago. So it's kind of towards America's Central America, but not Central America, but center of the USA, but okay. still quite northerly. So northern, easterny slash central. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> you just said all the, all the compass <laughs> points. Southeasternly, <laughs> northeast <laughs> Canada. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, thank you for that sign. The next game, I think, is on the 15th, isn't it? Uh, I think yes. game four is on the 15th. Is it? Is it that late? Jeez. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a gap. I'm not sure why. I guess maybe because the flight schedules, like you say, Si, give them some mm. time to, to move about. Um, I thought it was 15th. Could be wrong. Anyway, um, so... No, you're right. You're right. Keeping you're right. it with basketball, Si, I want to talk to you about... So, outside of the NBA, um, my following of basketball, since my school days of following, you know, Ellesmere Port, uh, whatever their team was called back in the day, I can't remember. Um, see, that long ago... I, um, but of course, basketball is part of the Olympics. Yes, Team USA, fairly dominant team in mm-hmm. uh, in basketball for, for for good reason. You know they've got the the premier sort of uh, place for for basketball talent to play. But they've just had a dire couple of matches in their exhibition, haven't they? Yeah. Um, Nigeria and Australia. Yeah. Um, so, yep. and I was reading aside, this takes them to 54 wins against now four losses. They've doubled their losses in exhibition matches. What's going on? Why is this? What's happening? Is it the players, are they not playing all the right players? Are they taking rests? Uh, you know, they're still playing in the playoffs. Like, what's going well, on? Uh, effectively, well, I mean, yes, there are still players who may have played in the playoffs, but actually thinking about it, you know, there probably isn't that many. I mean, the best players, like Yanis is... Um, is Greek, so I mean, he maybe he plays for Greece, although I, I doubt it with his schedule. Um, but yeah, for the US, I mean, they've taken a strong side. They had Kevin Durant playing, um, you know, and various others. It wasn't a, a weak side. Um, from what I've seen so far, there's a lot of you know finding finding a way. They've got a lot of kind of alpha male kind of players. Maybe they're struggling to find a, a kind of a team. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It only matters getting to the tournament and winning the gold medal. The U.S. haven't lost the gold medal game since, I think, against Argentina. And I think it was 2004, maybe. So, um, yeah, I mean, they are an amazing side. They they can put out the weakest roster of NBA, USA NBA players and still come home with a gold medal with ease. So, I mean, it's not panic stations yet. But they need to iron out what they're doing wrong because there is a few things uh, potentially worrying. Surprising this is, form. Ben. This is just on the back of a long season, um, mm-hmm. so I imagine they weren't necessarily at full tilt. And two back to back disrupted seasons as well. Let's not forget that. Yeah, two exactly. With, with, with uh, like you say, disrupted pre seasons and and. and uh, um, strange indoor Disneyland playoffs last year. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the two teams you said there, Nigeria and Australia. I mean, I know Australia, uh, their they're te- big basketball is quite big over there. Um, mm. I know basketball is quite big in, in the Eastern European bloc. Um, Nigeria, I, mean, I didn't realize that it was, it was, basketball was a big sport over there. Should they even be losing friendlies to those teams when they've got players like Durant, you know, the world's best? I mean, they did have, uh, they do have like, um, I think Britain probably becoming one of the only 
countries that don't tend to have any NBA players at the moment, really. Um, but yeah, Nigeria have a few. I think actually three of them play for the Miami Heat. So there was a nice continuity there between the Nigerian players. So, you know, they did have, it was four Nigerian of the four of the Nigerian starters were uh, NBA players. And one of them was a very, very good college player. So it's not like they're playing absolute scrubs, you know, who are, you know, fundamentally useless, but it's still a massive shock. Um, You know, they've got to iron it out. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a worry, but at the end of the day, we could be looking a month from now and seeing that the U S have won the gold medal with ease and blown out every opponent, which I pretty much assume they will until they maybe get to Spain, who are one of the only teams really that tend to take them, you know, the, the distance. Yeah. Slovenia, Luka Doncic. But it's got no no one around him. That's the problem. It's literally Luca and no one. Um, I mean, it didn't help the Dallas Mavericks. So I mean, I don't yeah, know how it's going to help them. So yeah. So, but it's it's a very interesting situation, and and yeah, quite worrying for the US team. It would be fantastically hilarious if they lose. So if they lose, so it'd be good. The potential silver lining is the basketball in the Olympics will be worth watching, um, mm. at least for some competition and potentially a new winner. Yeah. So Definitely. I mean, for that. it's one of the big problems with the Olympics in certain sports is you tend to, uh, you know, bringing things like baseball where there's about six countries that play it and stuff like that leads to a situation where you're really narrowing the scope of who can win the, the gold medal. So, and it's been the same in basketball because of just how good America are. Um, so yeah, it'd be good if it becomes a bit more of an open competition. Yeah, something that I know we're not going to discuss at length on today's show, uh, but basketball, football, or soccer, tennis don't belong in the Olympics anyway. Uh, and I'm happy to dive into that discussion another day. Uh, they're too big, too big a sport, too big franchises. Uh, get them out of the Olympics for me. Let's yeah, let's leave that for another day. So we started this segment with a vegan athlete. We'll end it with a vegan athlete, and that is Lewis Hamilton. Of course, seven-time world champion on the uh, on the Formula One in Formula One, uh, as well as his previous accolades. Uh, um, very public uh, about his diet, his, his vegan uh, approach to to diet. Um, not least, um, he owns companies, but he's also been part of documentaries and you know, heavily invested in that lifestyle, uh, but credits it to his health and fitness uh, as well. So there's clearly something in that. But um, he's also, um, of course, been hugely vocal over the last year about um, the lack of diversity in Formula One, launching the Hamilton Commission various experts from education and and other um, sectors as well. And they today have just released their report, uh, which is hugely timely off the back of a lot of narrative on social media based off the back of the England match, which we'll we'll come to later on. Um, But the report, um, there's a couple of things I just wanted to uh, just to pull out. Um, One was um, the lack of data within the paddock as to the, um, the, the nationality, the, the, um, uh, you know who's in the paddock, <laughs> like whether people are white or black or anything like that. Ethnicity data they just don't have it, so they had to basically estimate the number. Uh, probably literally just pointing at a group of people and counting. And um, I'm sure there's more into it, but in more depth, I haven't read the report in full yet. It's only came out today, um, but they estimated it was it one percent of the paddock uh, was black, uh, which is is low. I I'm surprised it's that high. Well, exactly, and that is um, based on um, 
yeah, uh, them basically having to guess because the data doesn't exist. So, um, and and then they're talking about uh, routes through and the the huge lack of um, you know young black kids going into engineering subjects at school and things like that, and then making it through to university and uh, or apprenticeship routes or vocational routes. So a lot of the um, the report looks at recommendations around what uh, F one can do in terms of hiring and firing and apprenticeships and do the cost caps prohibit that kind of exploration of alternative routes into engineering and things, which is brilliant to, to ask questions of. But it also goes into education, what can be done around uh, education as well to open up these careers. And Ben, um, you know, we didn't mention at the top of the show, uh, but one of the things that came through loud and clear in our conversation last week with Jen and Tom was just about that, um, the pathways for women. We were talking about the netball and how important those visible pathways are uh, and once there is a pathway to a career, um, and that's that feedback loop, then um, you know there's, there's opportunity. So no, not everyone can go and be a racing driver because we also talked last week about the financial. It's financially prohibitive, but there's more than just the driver, right? There's there's hundreds, if not a thousand, people behind that driver in engineering roles and computational roles and all sorts in the background, and they're the careers that can be opened up by representation, visibility. And open up these pathways. So, I think the report is is timely. Uh, I think it's incredible to see something come out of the uh, the rhetoric, rhetoric that Formula One's been putting out. A lot of this falls on Hamilton and his colleagues' shoulders. Um, and F one, you know, will, will ride that <laughs> as it does. Um, but I think it's nice to see uh, solid recommendations, and I, I look forward to seeing how F one responds. Yeah, uh, it's it can o- it is only good. Um, yeah, and uh, from what we're seeing on the paddock at the moment, we're actually only seeing Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel who are doing anything in reality. Um, but but also don't let's not expect people like your Max Verstappen's and your Leclerc's to do this because they're hot headed twenty year old racing drivers. You know, uh, Lewis and Sebastian are at that level in their career now where they've got the fame and fortune and. Uh, power behind them to be able to go and make change and uh listen it's only a good thing the pathway into formula one i mean there's so many jobs in formula one around formula one it's not just engineering it can be uh law it can be kind of secretarial it can be um exactly the anything down to the the janitor at brackley you know um and all these kind of things there's so many formula one is such a big creator of jobs um yeah. and there needs to be pathways for uh everybody because it's very uh, black and ethnic minorities are very underrepresented in formula one period yeah so uh, I'll, I'll leave that comment with, with this section with this this uh, reading here and this is uh, just from the bbc report on it so among the issues raised were that none of the f1 teams had ethnicity data for their employees reese morgan director at royal academy of engineering and author of the report said their figure of one percent employees being black was an estimation as a result the report highlighted recruitment practices in f1 tended to favor students from a select group of high-ranking universities and a series of issues preventing the rise of black students in particular in science technology and engineering of math subjects in schools so you know this is stuff that is deep rooted in in education and engineering subjects so it's a big thing to tackle but yeah if if f1 can um can make uh progress in that area it's massive yeah i think the one percent is 
the most arbitrary number. I reckon it's got one of those uh, arrows in front of it, at less than 1%. <laughs> yeah, had to round up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, sadly. Cool. So anyway, but so that's really positive. I think it's, like I say, it's great to see uh, actionable stuff come out and uh, I really hope that F1 steps up to that and um, and leads by example. Right. So that is all from the highlights of the week just gone. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, do get in touch with us on Twitter at WednesdayPod, on Instagram at WednesdayPod. Feel free to leave messages on Anchor as well. And you can find, subscribe, like, share, and all the above at your favorite podcast platform. Tell us what you want. Talk to us. We're here to listen. Um, and if you missed last week's show, I strongly encourage you to go check it out, not least and I mean, rather, not because Simon wasn't there, um, rather uh, because Jen and Tom were fantastic guests and Ben and I had an excellent chat with them about the work they do, about uh, getting into some uh, heavy issues and, and some light stuff as well. So I encourage you to check that out uh, when you can. Right, gents, here we are. On to our, our meaty middle. And what it was heartbreaking, frankly, wasn't it? It was a hard, hard thing to witness. Penalties are never easy, but there's a hell of a lot of positive stuff to take away from the weekend. So let's start with you. Where, where do you want to start with this? Because we're going to dive into, you know, you wanted to focus on England today. Um, maybe a bit about the performance, a bit around the events around it, what, what's next for us. Uh, over to you. Start where you want. So um, I've titled this England Autopsy because it is. It's just a... We're going to see, you know, we're going to cut it apart and see see what we see effectively, and see what the big central themes and causes are of this, of this sad but happy but sad time we've had. So, first and foremost, um, I'm going to start with the good. What went well? So, we've made our first final since 1966. You know, we've done a fantastic job to get this far. The country has come together like it did in 2018. Uh, and all in all, you know, what a wonderful, 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 wonderful time it's been for the country. Um, however, you know, there are some negatives, but we will ignore those for the moment. I think we've got a really young squad. You know, we've got such great attacking talent uh, in the men's team. And yeah, looking forward to uh, to the World Cup next year to see, you know, how we play, how we'll deal with a Winter World Cup in Qatar. I think we'll start among the favourites, even though it is a, a particularly horrible, you know, environment to play in, even in the winter. But at the same point, you know, I think we've got a good squad, so we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, some of the performances that were, you know, some of the boys came out with. So, you know, uh, Pickford was fantastic, saving two penalties, doing everything he could to try and, you know, get us through that. Um, you know, Sterling defied my expectations. I didn't have him even starting at all um, in my team. And for him to start was, was a fantastic thing. So, yeah, I mean, there, there were some others. Luke Shaw played brilliantly. Calvin Phillips came in, you know, and he would prove to be a real combative midfielder in the middle of the park and was a real trendsetter. And, you know, and the way he went to console Saka at the end showed real leadership qualities. And, you know, he's either going to propel leads up the table even further than they've already gone, or he's going to be playing for one of the, you know, the so-called big six soon enough um yeah so i mean there's some great things i mean what did you guys have to add you know in the positives anything else i didn't mention 
I, I, I just want to say, I, you know, long time listeners of the show, and you both know that I'm not a football fan. I don't follow football. I don't know who. I didn't know who any of these people were before they turned up on their pitch in that first game that I watched them in. Um, however, the two two highlights from me uh, in terms of the players. One was Sterling. The way that lad's legs go <laughs> are just like nothing else. They're just like that, um, you know, when you see cartoon legs just spinning around like 360 in a circle, he can go. And that was remarkable to watch. And the other person that I absolutely adored watching was Pickford. Mm. What a character on pitch. Like, you know, yeah. how angry he got, like having to do his job when the ball got near him. He's like, just fuck off, go away. I don't yeah. want you near me. Like, what are you doing? And and the way he psyched himself up for the penalties and, and what a remarkable performance against those penalties as well. Mm. Uh, it, it's rare to see. And I, I, they were just two highlights for me. But this team, watching them, everything around it, nearly turned me into a football fan, I have to mm. say. Uh, that's hey, power. should have done. And it, it should have done. Did. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, there's there's young there's uh, young people all around the country that are watching your, your players like your Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, for the first half of that game was like Zinedine Zidane. He was moving <laughs> the ball past people. He was twinkled toes. He was going one two. He was move, it, it was absolutely pleasure absolute pleasure to watch. <clears throat> the goal, what a ball from Trippier! What a reaction from Shaw! You know, the environment I was in was electric when that goal went in. I was I was lifted up. People were just jumping, pints in the air, and all this all this gubbins. It was just absolutely fantastic. It was, it was what you expected. What a tournament! What a tournament, guys! Listen, we made the final, came up against a better team on the night. Okay. So Ben, you know, Ben, talk to us. Uh, talk to us about your experience because you know we talked at length uh, in the run up to this around COVID, around capacity crowds, around atmosphere and things like that. And of course, as the tournament went on, more and people, more and people ventured into the pubs. And you mentioned there you were in a pub, and this has got to be one of the big takeaways. I mean, yes, there are challenge, there are issues around the crowds and COVID increases and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of being in a pub and that atmosphere, how? How important was that to experience uh, as part of this tournament? And how much did it enhance your enjoyment of it? Because just a few months ago, that wasn't possible, was it? It was unbelievable. Um, you know, if I take you to the end and work back, for those listeners who don't know, England lost the game on penalties. <laughs> um, we haven't even said that so far. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> we lost the game on penalties. I go. For, if I'm going to work the start of the penalties, okay? Uh, by that point, I'd gone through the ring. I'd gone through the emotions. There was a group of, um, I was with my housemate, there was a group of uh, uh, lads on this table next to us and real passionate football supporters in the pub. There, there wasn't um, any any bad stuff at all, which I know we're going to get onto uh, that we've seen on Monday on, on social media and stuff like that. It, it was a positive environment. Uh, and on the penalties, we were all stood arm in arm, absolutely not one a COVID protocol in place. And on the outside of the pub, there's a long, uh, basically the glass windows that lead onto the road. This is Southampton, Scholars Island in Southampton. Go Southampton, go Saints. Um, and there was easily 100 people, maybe 150. I got a photograph from outside that were peering through the window, like three or four deep at the window, watching each kick. You know, the first kick we scored, and then uh, I think it was, was it Harry Maguire or Kane took the first one, scored, and then Pickford made a save, and we were like, oh, my God, it might actually come home. We, people were grasping on, and obviously it went a bit downhill in the actual penalty shootouts, but there was tears, there were grown men crying, there was people applauding, people picking people up off the ground. 
Um, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. And quite frankly, I, I've not been that passionate about football since 1996. So for me, that was um, What happened real in pleasure. 1996? Uh, we lost the penalty shootout against Germany in the semi-final, the Euro 96 at Wembley. Ah, that was the Southgate. Yeah, so our mm. manager has been through that firsthand. And yeah, when you said Calvin Phillips ran across to Saka, it was absolutely unbelievable. Um, Saka was one of the players at the tournament. I'll be honest now, we're going to get onto the bad stuff. <laughs> no way in hell should he have taken his first ever career penalty at that point in a European Championship final. It's batshit crazy when you look back now. Like, it, it, um, uh, Captain Hindsight, you look and think, what on earth, Gareth, did you do? <laughs> but let's be honest, if that's Gareth's first mistake in seven games, which it was, penalties was his first mistake that that game maybe you could probably go back early in the game i think he's going to say it was his first mistake he got us to the final conceding one goal and this is a quality squad and in three years time against germany um because next year i won't be watching absolute garbage in three years time again uh, in the germany um euro 24 this team is going to be absolutely fantastic and i've got a three-year break now before i watch my national team again which is quite nice i need a break so does my liver he says that. That's not true. You'll be watching. We'll all chance. be watching. Not a chance in hell. I, I, right now, I will not watch the Qatar World Cup. And, and I've got some friends who won't watch it with me at all. Absolutely disgraceful. Right. 41.05 on Take it right now. the 13th. <laughs> right, it's when we're recording, everybody. 13th the 7th. Cool. Yeah, I got it. I'll remember this. I'll clip it. They reckon 1,500 people died building the stadiums in Qatar, 1,500. It's, it's a football tournament playing on dead bodies. Yeah, there's over 2,000 immigrants, um, immigrant workers within the last decade, I believe. So, yes, I mean, overall, this there's a lot of controversy with this thing. We've talked about this before, didn't we? Because yeah. we talked yeah. about it with the Norwegian team. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Qatar itself is going to be a very controversial thing. And we're, I just see how it's going to work out. I think so, time might also be an issue with that, but we'll, we'll talk about that near yeah. to the time. So I'm, yeah, sorry, so well, yeah, let's get back on topic, but I'm just, I want to say I'm, I'm a bit of an optimist and something in Gareth Southgate's words after the match, of course he was despondent, it was heartbroken but the way he sort of didn't want to talk about the World Cup, didn't want to think ahead, and well, could could we boycott it? Is that likely to happen? No, no, not a chance. <sighs> okay, I'll remain an optimist, but a dejected one. Anyway, back to back to the last month. So, what, what have you got to respond to, Ben? Ben said we were beaten by the better side. So yeah, you may have seen me look away in abject disgust. I've never seen anyone cast so much shade with just their eyes. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest, the whole day from the second minute, well, I suppose the first half was fine. I mean, we negated them in the first half, but after half time, it was abject at best. We looked tired. We looked devoid of ideas. Southgate should have made substitutions much, much earlier. And I don't want to be just making Southgate the scapegoat because in, you know, some of the stuff he's done, he's made that that team a team. You you look back ten years and people talking about being in the national team and little clicks and no one talking to each other and newbies to the squad being ignored and all that sort of stuff. None of that happened. Everyone was welcome. Everyone was, they were like a band of brothers. And I think Southgate has to take complete credit for all of that. I mean, he's done, he said he's made us love our national team again, but tactically woeful. 
Um, you know, far too defensive. I mean, you, you you can't say, oh, we scored too early because any goal's great, but we did score too early. I said to my dad at halftime and a few of my friends, it reminded me, it was reminding me of the 2018 game, especially as we came into the second half, uh, the 2018 game, semi-final against Croatia, sitting too deep, you know, lacking ideas, playing long ball. You know, we had two slash three offensive players on the field until, you know, Saka came on. It was, it was, it was poor. It was poor. Southgate didn't make the proper changes. Um, you know, we, we relied on the wrong players. Mason Mount played a hundred minutes. He was, he was decent defensively, but he was basically anonymous for the whole game. He was awful, awful in the attacking sense of things, probably because we couldn't get enough men up. So, I mean, tactically he suffered because of that. Jack Greeley should have become on, you know, 60 minutes in, came on up. You got 10 minutes into extra time. It was yeah. just crackers. It was crackers glaring. Stuff. It was glaring. The the super Jack, super Jackie Grealish mm. chants in the pub were strong from about the yeah. 50th minute in reality. Uh, we all knew the game was calling out for super Jackie Grealish and we did need it. And yeah, I, I, I'll agree. You can point fingers. There was some bad substitutions made. We talked about a couple of moments in the game. Pick on something you, you said there about uh, we didn't manage the game well at all. It was a very poorly managed game. And how in world-class football, if you score a goal at that level in a final the opposition team comes at you period that that's how it works okay it doesn't matter how good you are the opposition get the wind beneath the, you know the, the the bit between the teeth wind behind the sails and they come at you the best experienced teams in the world manage that okay you, you can you can deal with it deal with the pressure and then rebuild make some tactical changes you're absolutely right Italy could have done that because Italy have born leaders on the pitch. It's a whole field of leaders. Collini, Bonucci, unbelievable. Um, Chiesa had another great game. Jorginho, he could be one of the best players in the world right now. He really could be. Should have been sent off for his rotter on Grealish. Um, But, you know, there's pictures today of Collini pulling back Saka around the throat. Um, It's a professional foul. You see them in nearly every football game. What's he going to do? Let him run free and score? No, he's going to take the yellow card. That's normal in football. That's not bad, uh, dirty play. Actually, to be honest with you, Italians weren't that dirty apart from that one Jorginho stamp, um, which was a definite red. Very strange. Overall, the tournament, the refereeing was absolutely spot on. I thought the referee in the the final was not not the best, actually, um, Mm. for both sides. I thought it was a little bit strange. I'm unsure why he was refing and not the... um, uh, Brick, is it Brick? Brick, the the, the 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 German, the best guy. Oh, he was great. Um, yeah. He was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I think we got his name. That's bad of me. Um, but no, that's why I say the better team won because the more experienced team won. The more experienced manager in that situation won. And yes, this England team could be a dominant force uh, going forward. We've made one semi final. Now we've made a final. If we go to Qatar and make another final, surely you've got to start believing this is a good team. I mean, the team itself is fantastic. Probably one of the, probably the best, apart from France, you know, the top two best squads in the whole competition. I mean, Chiellini said that, you know, the reserve team for England could have done really, really well. And he reeled off the names of Sancho, Grealish, et al. there as well. I mean, you know, we had so much strength in depth. 
And yet Gareth is so rigorously set with how he's set. He doesn't like to make changes. Saka came on. I like Saka. Saka's had a decent tournament. Would he be the one I brought on? I probably was having seen Jaden Sancho play against Ukraine. I would have been more tempted to bring him on, to be honest, of the two. But that's hindsight. You can't always have a go. And I mean, Saka played his heart out and tried his best. Um, but I still think we just played far too defensively. What I wanted to ask you about is your mate Jordan Henderson. Boy, did he stink out the place that game. He was awful. Brought out the kind of thought, was he unfit? Was he still not fit? That's my big question. Come and, and on, no. He, he came on, he played 28 minutes, then got taken off for one mm. of the penalty takers who we'll talk yeah. about uh, in, in detail second. in a bit. Um, but the substitutions were poor. Henderson had to come on for Rice. Rice was injured. Rice, that wasn't a tactical change. He got an injury. I think he's groin uh, when that was a normal injury. The only person who was going to replace him was Jordan Henderson. Jordan Henderson plays in a team, a dominant football team, for club. I mean, no question, they have been dominant for years under Henderson in the last three to five years. Um, winning games, holding on to possession. So, yes, I think he does struggle when we're against, but that's why for the club level, he's got Fabinho next to him. Uh, in the England level, Calvin Phillips doesn't have the head Fabinho does. He doesn't have the experience Fabinho does. I'm not blaming Calvin Phillips for that, but I'm not saying 28-minute performance is deciding the World Cup, uh, sorry, the European Cup final. What did decide it is leaving Grealish on the bench at 50 minutes. You're, you, you go 1-0 up, you've got two options. You either defend for 90 minutes and try and scrape a 1-0 victory, or you put some attackers on and try and count, get them on the counter and go 2-0. He was caught in two minds. Every time the camera panned Southgate, he looked worried. It, it, and it breeds into players, that mm. does. He didn't look confident. But you know what? He's lost a semi now. He's lost a final now. If he goes to another final, they'll go one better because that experience tells. The thing is, though, was this our chance? Ultimately, let's be honest. If we If we put on our sensible hat, this was our chance. We played six of our games at home, you know, it's not going to come, you know, that kind of way again. We're going to be playing a winter World Cup in Qatar. Um, you know, you're going to have Brazil, Argentina in there as well, who, you know, are going to make it possibly a little bit more difficult, but we'll see. Um, you know, these sorts of things don't come around every time. We had a very easy route on both both tournaments to the final compared to, to some of the other teams throughout this tournament. So, I mean, yeah, I, I'm worried that... You, I mean, Southgate has done amazingly in a lot of ways. I'm not asking for him to be sacked. I mean, the fact that people are coming out because we lost the final and saying sack Southgate is ridiculous. What I want him to do is learn from his mistakes. I want him to become, you know, Gary Lineker put it best and said, England players need to be unleashed. There was, you know, so many players that he could have brought on or changed the shape to, to bring in. People say, oh, well, the Italians played so well in the second half because, you know, we couldn't get the ball off him. That's because we had two players who were attack-minded. The ball was just being humped upfield by Pickford, and Harry Kane was possibly, you know, maintaining the ball and, and trying to lay it off, or losing it out to Chiellini and Bonucci. I mean, we could see the goal coming when they scored 10 minutes before it happened. It was oh, it was almost inevitable. We could see the goal coming the moment yeah. Shaw was running away with victory. I knew 1-0 at that yeah. time, it was just going to be Jorginho passing the ball around, just mm. moving the ball, Chiesa making darting runs. Um, you know, they've got, they've got attacking players on the pitch. Yeah. They were basically playing a 4-3-3 against our, just basically a whole team defending. Um, yeah. I agree, Southgate should probably stay on. 
but I don't agree that this was our last chance. Uh, Sancho, 20. Foden, 19. Saka, 19. Uh, Kane's only 26. 27, maybe. 27, I think. You know, in four years, three years' time, we've got the next year. He's probably going to pay three more tournaments. Um, yeah, and Harry Maguire and uh, John Stones again. They're not. They're not. They're not even the thirties yet. These guys. Um, yeah, I think Maguire's twenty. You know, Shaw. He's. Tw- yeah, Shaw feels like he's been around forever. He's twenty-five. You know, yeah, Walker probably won't make another four, another two or three of these tournaments. But who have you got coming in at right back? You know, a couple good lads. Trent, one of them. We. Oh, I don't want to say it. You know, we cried Trent out for Trent at times in this world. Wouldn't have played year. under Southgate, and we both no, know. No, but this. he has to going forward. He will do go when, he, when he's captain for Liverpool. He'll have no choice. Hmm. Um, but anyway, aside from the club players, still that's a good tournament. I don't agree with the easy route. You beat who you, you come up against. Every game's tough. I think Denmark are one of the toughest games anyone could have had in a semi-final in that tournament. Italy unbeaten in 36 games, Simon. How can you not agree that they're just a better team? They're not a better team. If you look at them player for player, they're not a better team. They might have have the experience, Edge on us and everything else, but we played into their hands with our negative tactics and our defensive outlook. We did. We did. We had one shot on target in 120 minutes. One shot. Not good, is it? That's horrendous. That was in the second minute. Do you think we bottled it then, Si? I think I don't blame the players at all. You play to the formation, you you know, you play who's on the field. I just think Southgate bottled it, if I'm honest. But Southgate being the uh, the leader that he is and the leader that he's shown himself to be, like you say, Si, to bring uh, this group together as he has, uh, that's one of the first things he said, isn't it? This is not on any individual. I yeah. made these choices. This is on me um, from the off. And... You know, if anyone in my very limited experience of who I know in in, in football, which is Gareth Southgate, <laughs> but if anyone you know has the image that's given me the confidence as a non-football fan, as someone that can actually take that and learn with learn from it, um, he's certainly sending the right messages to say that 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 can happen, uh, and that he's you know he's the right person to. To, to stick with the team because they follow him they like him and that's yeah. shown by how they played and how they worked as a team because yeah. if they didn't if they didn't like him didn't want it it, it wouldn't have worked yeah I mean every manager in world football aside from Jose Mourinho is going to say it was their fault that he's not going to pick players <laughs> out um, yeah. you know Jose Mourinho is probably the only one who'll say no nah, that was just a shit penalty Rashford <laughs> um, but I, I mean I think it's a, a good segue Dan uh, to move on to the penalty discussion because then mm. that's going to take us on to a discussion that's far more important than any sport um, I want to just say about the penalties Giving uh, Bukayo Saka his first professional penalty as the deciding penalty in a European Championship final against the best keeper in the world in Donnarumma. Mm. Are you batshit crazy? Are you, on, are you on drugs? What on earth is that? De- what decision is that? You are having a laugh that you put that pressure on Saka, who's never taken a penalty for his club or his country. What what were we seeing? I mean, it, it breaks brings some conjecture because at first it was kind of thought that the England players themselves had kind of some had gone, yeah, I'm up for it. But from what it sounds like, Southgate made the decision on who took penalties. 
I thought it was a strange order at first. I was exceedingly surprised to see Harry Kane taking first penalty. Usually your best pen taker, like Ronaldo and, and various others over the years, takes penalty five because if it gives you the chance to either stay in the game at such a crucial moment with the pressures building or um, you know, win the win the tournament, um, usually. And obviously sometimes people can absolutely mare and miss all your penalties. But, you know, it, that's usually the case. Um, but no. Yeah, Harry Kane first, which is fine, I suppose. You know, lead off well, score your first penalty, get into the groove. That's great. And obviously, Harry Maguire smashing his in the top corner was fantastic. But, I mean, not only are we looking at Saka, number five, but yeah, never never taken a penalty for his club. 19 years of age, looks like a small child, and you're making him, you know, you're making him, you're, you're taking, he's made taking your fifth penalty. Crazy. You had Raheem Sterling. Why was Raheem Sterling still on the pitch? Why didn't you bring on uh, Sancho earlier if he was going to take a pen, if Raheem Sterling wasn't going to take a penalty? Sterling was out on his feet for most of extra time. Why? Wh- I don't understand the, the logic of any of it. Um, bringing those guys on, bringing Rashford, bringing Sancho on for two minutes, putting Rashford at right back, it just all seemed insanely bizarre. And then to expect positive results from that was odd and i mean it is hindsight and i mean yes maybe i am just absolutely destroying the decision making process now that i know we didn't win but there's just a lot of crazy bizarre decisions being made and you know our penalties we suffered for it and i think why Grealish didn't take it. I know Grealish isn't the best penalty taker in the world. He missed one against Southampton a couple of years ago. Maybe his only penalty in actual normal football game. And he scored one in the playoff final, um, playoff semi-final. Apologies. Um, but, you know, he did take in a penalty. He loves the big stage. He loves the pressure. Um, and yeah, that's, it just all seemed crazy. That's the thing. You hit the nail on the head there, Si. It's not about previous penalties you've taken. Get Maguire on the first penalty. Why Kane isn't number five is batshit. I mean, that come on, man. Everyone knows. Everyone who's ever watched a football game that's gone to penalties knows your best penalty taker is number five. No questions asked. Get Maguire on first. He was always going to smash it with confidence. Um but then you've got Grealish and Sterling. They're confident players playing at a good level. They would have taken the confident their stride. Grealish would have put that in top corner. Absolutely would have put it in the top corner. Mm. Uh, Saka, he, he's never taken a professional penalty. What am I watching? It was hard. And, and it's not just hindsight. When you were watching it, you knew it was not going to go in. And if but, it wasn't for Pickford, it would have been yeah. over very quickly anyway. Yeah. Uh, Pickford probably made it look okay in reality. There was some problems. There was some issues. I think there'll be some um, questions. And there should be questions asked about the football. And that's where the discussion should be. And sadly, the discussion's been on other things, Dan. Yeah, I mean, Pickford for me was undoubtedly the highlight of that that penalty shootout. Um, the Okay, devil's advocate. Had had Rashford's gone in, um, had had another one not gone in from Italy. Had Saka's gone in, would we now be having a conversation going inspired idea? You know, this, that, and the other. Uh, taking the gamble, doing that, it was incredible. What decision making? Would that be the narrative now, rather than obviously he's made a poor decision? Is that the? Of course know. it would. That's football. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Of course it would. I'm not going to sit here and go. No, I would have gone. No, oh, that's a very lucky decision there. 
my issue with with the Rashford is he didn't even play a minute of the tour. I think he played five or ten minutes of the tournament. Uh, Rashford, for me, I think he's still injured. I think he yeah. actually is scheduled for some surgery before he goes back to preseason. Like uh, Rashford should never been anywhere near the team sheet today. Uh, sorry, on Sunday. Um, I think Foden had a knock as well, um, but surely there's some better penalty takers in the team. Surely they've been yeah. practicing this stuff. So how long does this go on then? How long do, does the, the autopsy go on? So, you know, for, for the manager, you know, what point do they start looking ahead to the World Cup and going, right, this is the team we are, this is what we need to do, assuming they go ahead and learn from some of these lessons that you'll handily type up in an email for Gareth, what, what will happen next? <laughs> well, I mean, we've got qualifiers coming up uh, end of August, start of September. I think Hungary is our first qualifier. So we've got, you know, games important, you know, games that mean something coming up very, very soon. So, I mean, ultimately, you've got to, uh, you know, you've got to get back on the horse as quickly as possible. The players, they need some time off. I mean, uh, I was going to mention this later, but I'll mention it now, obviously. Premier League teams are starting their preseason friendlies this week. I think Arsenal played Hibernian today, uh, about, among various others. Um, so, you know, Premier League teams are back, but these guys need a break. They need a month off or however long they're going to get, three weeks or whatever that is. Uh, but for Gareth, I think you have to start, you maybe give yourself a week off and then back to it. You know, start watching those friendlies, you know, because there's always going to be new guys coming into the squad. There's always going to be other ideas he's going to have to take on. Can't unfortunately feel sorry for yourself forever and i don't think he does to be fair to him i think he's been obviously definitely been in this uh, this position himself before but um you know you've got to get back on the horse as it were and uh, i think he will to be fair to him um you know the work starts now i guess so that's that's where we should be focusing our efforts that's where the world you know england and southgate and the players that should be their focus but ben sadly it's not been has it some of the stuff that we Many, you know, you could argue knew would happen eventually if, if England lost or it, it would, would come some sort of uh, hooliganism, violence, uh, you know, come back. But actually it's been a bit, it's been really dark, hasn't it? It's been much worse than that. Um, and some of the comments through social media, some of the um, uh, racist uh, sort of outbursts at the players that missed the penalties, uh, it's just been atrocious, and sadly, that's taken up a lot of airtime, hasn't it, in the media? Well, I mean, sadly, that's all um, all that's in the media's eye today and yesterday. Uh, before I mention it, that the there is comparisons with with Bukayo Saka and uh, Emma Raducanu in the tennis. Two wonderful, wonderful uh, starlets. I mean, incredible um, athletes, incredible British talents. Um, that have just gone through the ringer. Um, and I'm not sort of comparing, you know, racist abuse to the pressure, but I'm saying two massive pressure moments for two kids um, that they've uh, not had success in um, and they've just been destroyed for it. But the, the issue is with, with Saka, it's been, um, it's been abhorrent racism. I mean, horrendous. We're talking, uh, I think there was a, a quote from Rashford today that said he's had sort of 70 to 80 racist DMs, private yeah. messages. That's people yeah. privately messaging him to be racist. I, I, don't, I literally don't have words for it. Like, what on earth? These are not football fans, you know, and 
there's now there's now politics coming into it and the, the politicians and I've just the news has just come through there that the reason the England team aren't going to Downing Street is because they refuse to. So wow, these stories are just going to go on and on and on. Uh, and we've discussed racist abuse before on this show, and uh, sadly, we will probably discuss it again um, because it's it's uh, ongoing in this country that uh, these small-minded people act out at uh, maybe differences in, in someone's skin or something like that, or they choose something to pick on because of a bad footy result. I mean, it's just a fucking footy result. Yeah, it was unlucky. <laughs> it was penalty shootouts. Yeah, yeah. penalties. It's a flip, a flip of a coin. It's, it's still penalties. Uh, you know, if you said at the beginning of the tournament, we'll give you penalties against Italy, you would have taken it. That's, that's, you got to the end of the tournament, literally yeah, yeah. the end of the tournament. Okay? Congratulations to everyone. And the people they've picked out, uh, Rashi, uh, Rashford, uh, Sancho, and Saka. Rashford, what he does for this country is more than I think I've ever seen a football player do for anyone. It is unbelievable. He was top of the philanthropic giving list last year. He earned 20 million. He gave away 30. He's part of the, the I think he was from Withenshaw. He's part of the greater Manchester community. He's embedded in that community. The work he does. Saka and Sancho both have um, things going on like Lewis Hamilton uh, with the local schools uh, and they're, they're giving back. Uh, Saka's also a straight A student, literally a straight A student. I think he's he's possibly going to look to do a master's when he finishes his uh, university and then master's when he finishes football career. These are stand-up human beings that are unbelievable. And you've just got this um, these uh, morons firing anonymous emojis, like just grade A. I don't want to say the C word on a podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, and, and as Rash would point out, some of these aren't hiding their, uh, their identity. They're, they're out there doing it. Um, and they're calling themselves football fans. And it's remarkable uh, the boldness with which they'll approach it. And, and uh, probably most visually played out uh, with the mural of Rashford in um, yeah. uh, Withenshaw, was it? I think, um, I think it's with I think it's with Shaw. Actually, one of those exactly that yeah. area. It's near near Manchester. The Greater Manchester. Yeah, yeah, where there was a mural done uh, of him. Uh, I don't know the quote, but it was defaced. Uh, according to uh, someone who's responsible for the sort of murals around the area on the, on the news this morning, saying it was, it, he was there in the morning. It must have been defaced uh, within hours of of the last penalty being missed. Which, you know, someone someone has that much vitriol to go out and deface that and use that as an excuse is disgusting you know they're, they're clearly not a football fan and um what what was remarkable today was the sight and i think rashford said it nearly moved him to tears was the outpouring of love and affection and manchester once again being a beacon of solidarity and support uh where the wall got covered in hearts and flags saying idol and hero and all this on it and um they've been moved to the side it's been repainted and and that, and then later on this evening there was a um earlier this evening there was a uh, a peaceful uh, demonstration black lives matter peaceful demonstration uh, outside it as well so uh, it's it's remarkable uh, what they're what they're having to do on the pitch uh, it's even more remarkable what they're having to contest with off it 
Um, but what they're able to do with that voice uh, speaks to all of them. And I think there isn't a single player on that pitch. There was a list on Twitter earlier. There isn't a single player on that pitch that isn't doing something actually quite remarkable and giving back to their communities. They're, they're really civically minded players, a lot of them, it seems, which is, is remarkable. And you can get behind that. But, uh, sorry. So one of, one of the things, uh, I can only echo what Gary Neville said, I think it was yesterday, when he said, as soon as Saka missed that penalty, he knew, and like we all did really, what was going to be next, didn't we? We all knew that there was going to be this torrent of abuse, and it's just accentuated by the fact that all these guys, all these players are black. And yeah, it's just so disgusting and abhorrent. Um, and you know, it's 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 one of those things that you know it makes you ashamed to be British. Um, but obviously, it happens all over the world as well. But you don't like to see it in your own country, and you know you can't help but be particularly ashamed of the whole situation. Um, but the good thing, I suppose, and what makes you more more you know more uh, happy to be British is the fact that, as Dan said, the amount of people that almost push back against this, so these mindless small minority of mindless idiots that make British you know British people and everyone else around the world you know you know, give everyone a bad name, you know, we've pushed back about against them. And there's been this, this, you know, big load and of, of praise and love for, for, for these players. And long may this continue because we need more of that in the world and we need less of the other stuff, if I'm honest. Absolutely. Well, Ben, we, we, we saw the racist abuse that, that's come that's come after, um, after the game, during the game, there was, scores of people bursting their way through security some quite violently trying to get in in there was the scenes in leicester square what is it about the, the, the sort of england fan approach to football uh well i say fan loosely in in this this respect but certainly the image is it uh is, is it mirrored in other nations or are we unique in this uh, yeah, it is mirrored. Yeah, it is mirrored. Um, there were some occasions and issues in Italy, less so because they won. Um, and I'm not saying that that's a reason why you, you wouldn't be a uh, a dick, you know, if, if you won it. But um, yeah, storming the gates at Wembley, that's basically cost us the 2030 World Cup bid. Um, the There was a copper hit, I think is a couple of coppers hit. 19 injured. Um, 19 injured, which in all honesty is following, up from, following on from the, the ACAB. Um, and all this um, uh, protesting, which fundamentally comes down from a, a political bill passed on by uh, Pretty and all these kind of things, I, I'm not. I'm not going to justify what I say now. Is not is not justifying it. Is is it's not giving an answer. Um, it's certainly not a solution. What I'm saying is, on the back end of what has been one of the hardest 16 months for a lot of people in this country, you mix that with anticipation and excitement and the possibility of a first major trophy in 55 years. And 12 hours of drinking. You then add in 12 (laughs) hours of drinking. The pub I was in was uh, bringing around shots at 4 p.m., four hours before kickoff. Um, It was, you know, and listen, I didn't see any racist, I didn't hear any racist abuse. Um, The TV in our um, pub, a 90-inch plasma screen got destroyed. Um... I saw fireworks and stuff outside um, in general. I don't think Southampton has been on the news for anything terrible, um, but there's certainly racism in this city as there is across the UK. 
Uh, I'm not defending. It, I'm just saying that I think I think a, a lot came out. There was a big release. Um, that's got nothing to do with the, with the, the racist abuse. I think the fans in um, Leicester Square just get carried away. I think that's that's mob mentality. There's too many people in one area. Storming the gates at Wembley Stadium is literally mob mentality. You know that. To be quite frank, I couldn't give a shit about mob mentality. Racism needs stamping out. There's always going to be some dickheads that are running, trying to get into inside the Wembley Stadium. Quite frankly, for me, that's like petty, petty crime. I, I, it doesn't even raise my ears. Yeah, I think, oh, that's bad. You know, I feel bad for my country. Racism makes me feel ashamed for for my country, and and that's really where we need to focus um, focus our thoughts. Going off on uh, on everything that's happened as well. I mean. And I don't want to be Captain Hindsight here, but the I can't remember if it was the organisers or whether it was Metropolitan Police um, were shocked by the the actions of these storming Wembley. Would it was that just a little bit naive to think that that sort of thing might not have happened? I mean, a lot of the stuff, a lot of if you look at some of the areas that were just held, you know, you're separating mobs of fans by a single chain link fence that's not even properly secured to the ground. It's effectively just like one of those ones that you just pick up and put down. So, ultimately, uh, yes, it's Captain Hindsight, maybe, but should they not have been prepared for a little bit of this? I mean, I think the scale of it was absolutely embarrassing and awful to behold but yes maybe the organizers and the metropolitan police had some part to play in maybe potentially you know being more aware i've seen hundreds more coppers at uh, a liverpool uh, merseyside a liverpool everton merseyside derby mm. I've seen a hundred, hundreds more coppers at the Manchester derbies and the London derbies. I mean, between Tottenham and Arsenal, for God's sake, there's thousands lying in the streets, you know, between Islington and, and uh, uh, Euston. I, I mean, yeah, 100% the presence was way down. I think because they thought it was going to be really positive. <laughs> I think because they were like, maybe because everyone's so happy we're, we've made a final. Um, but, you know, the tickets were selling for 5000 a ticket. Hmm. I mean, would I have tried to get in? <laughs> no, I'm not saying, you know, you should be storming fences and stuff like that. Quite frankly, it's small fry in comparison uh, to the abuse that's been thrown at uh, three of our Lions. Yeah. Disgusting behavior. And um, of course, uh, we hope that uh, those three young lads uh, get the support they, they need and deserve. And, uh, you know, the, the team rally around them, which we've seen and we've, we've, we've got and and we hope that uh for them the, the 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 love starts to drown out the hate because um it's pretty difficult to stop the hate at the moment isn't it or seemingly uh sadly um let's move on then so that's the euros uh i think we we, we should probably put that to bed now shouldn't we the euros one can, more thing can we have one more one more moment about the euros Go. We were all watching David Beckham in the stands <laughs> and he goes to fist bump and the camera pans along his fist bump and there's Tom Cruise fist bumping. It was one of the biggest gasps in the pub during the match. I don't know if you guys both saw that. Mm. Quite lovely moment. That was yeah, his no, third was event, fun. wasn't it, as well, Tom Cruise? He wasn't he, yeah. he, he travelled the entirety of London all day or something like that. Because he was it Glorious Goodwood, yeah, it was at Goodwood, yeah, and then yeah. Wimbledon, and then the uh, and Wembley. 
What yeah, a day. he's enjoying his life. He's what enjoying his life at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite cool. Um, a bit of glamour on there. So uh, I think, long story short, Euros. What an exciting journey it was, even for non-football fans. What a team we've built. What a team Gareth has built. What a nation behind. Oh, Sorry, come on. I'm trying to wrap up here. What do you yeah. got for us? <laughs> and also, none of you have mentioned the fact that my name on this on this link is uh, Mrs. Grealish sixty nine, which is one of the new great memes of 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 our uh, of our time. No one ever seen that. No one see that. Nope. Check it out. She's famous now. All right. Mrs. Well, they didn't know. It says Mrs. Mrs. I thought it was Mrs. Green from Cluedo. I, I've just seen Mrs. <laughs> Gray. Yeah. So you you, you've gone a bit too meta for us. And that brings us on to the look forward ahead. Um, don't forget, if you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, you can at Wednesday Pod, on Instagram at Wednesday Pod. And uh, yeah, that's about it pretty much. Uh, so we're going to look ahead because um, it feels like the world of sport has ended. But Sai, uh, as you quite rightly reminded us, football's just getting started again. Like I make this joke to my partner quite a lot. I say, you know, I like, you know, motorsports, uh, Formula One mostly. So, you know, kind of, you know, it's not all year round. It, you know, it could be worse. I could like football, but it's not really a joke. It's the truth, isn't it? What's kicking off, Sai? Nothing. I'm just jotting down a few notes for highlights. That's all. Sai, this forward. is over to you now to talk about oh, the weekend. Sorry. I thought you were looking at the fact that I was, re- I was writing something down. So, goodness me. We might have to edit Remember, that we're recording a podcast at the moment, oh. yeah? He's had a I week was... off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think I'm feeling pretty chipper, actually. So, uh, yeah. Football's, you know, football's back coming back. Football's coming back. And, oh, you know, not more football. Not only that, but transfers are going to start to. Now that the Copa America, we haven't even talked about the Copa America, by the way. Argentina won. Emmy Martinez is a legend. Um, yeah. So, and that, so transfers are going to start to ramp up now. Uh, you know, pre-season started, friendlies have started. It's exciting times. And Premier League, 14th of August, start of the Premier League. So it's not that far away. Um, it's next month. That's insane. I, I know. We've got, you know, big transfers. Like Rafael Varane apparently is very close to getting to Man United. Jordan Sancho. Jordan Sancho? Jaden Sancho has just signed. passed his... Yeah, him as well. Um, has just passed his medical at Man United and his, so the deal is basically completely done. So, you know, exciting times. Dan, I can see the Wait, excitement on your face. So this guy who need who just played a tournament mm-hmm. uh, for England needed mm-hmm. to have a medical to prove he's fit to play football. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, because right. he's signing a contract that's £250,000 a week and they're paying £73 million for him. Yeah. They need to check he's got all right shins. If he ruptured his ACL taking that penalty, for example, it's probably yeah. not the best idea to buy him. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of sport coming up then uh, very soon in football. Ben, you need, a bit of a, you need a bit of a breather, don't you? You're on an embargo until the, Olympi- until the Olympics. Do you know what? So I, I think I, I wrote uh, that was on an embargo maybe the weekend. I don't know. After the game, um, I'm still reeling from the, the result, of course. Uh, and I just, I'd like a couple of days away from the sport, just watching a little afternoon tour de France, you know, just a relaxed bit of road cycling. But this weekend, we've got two of the best <laughs> events of the year coming up. Uh, the Open, 
I absolutely adore the Open. I'm loving tennis, uh, tennis golf uh, this year. I think it's been absolutely brilliant. The level, um, the uh, there was some good golf news actually today, which I'll just tack on to the back of this. Uh, but yeah, Shane Lowry, I think, won it in 2019, so he'll be um, defending his title after a year, two year break because of COVID. Uh, my bet will be uh, Louis Oosthuizen. I think he will go one better. I think he's exceptional form at the moment. Moment, was very unlucky at the US Open. On the back of that, a little bit of golf news for you today. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Kwepka have restarted, reignited their fight to the death, uh, talking about the Ryder Cup in which they'll both be on the same team. Bryson DeChambeau saying he'd love to be paired with Kwepka because I quote, it'd be good fun for the cameras, right? And Kwepka saying there's not a chance he'd be paired with him. Surely that wouldn't happen. Listen, we we can hope it happens. Uh, what else is coming up this weekend, Simon? There was another thing. No, you just Formula got One, f- wasn't it? Formula oh, One, Dan can do Formula One. That's crazy. Uh, Mark Cavendish, uh, Tour de France, has tapped that back on. That's going up the weekend, and we'll talk about that again next Wednesday, Dan. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it's entirely possible we're talking about a absolute record when we do. Yeah, talking of sprinting, Ben. We've got the first sprint race of the Formula One season this weekend at Silverstone. Formula One is coming home. See what I did? It's coming home. It's coming. Oh, we've finished the Euro segment. Home. Do you know, I'm super excited yeah. about this for a couple of reasons, Dan. I'm going to jot in there. One, because I'm going to get to watch it with you. Yeah, and you are. You're, you're coming to visit. Aww. That's exciting, I'm isn't it? I'm actually getting to watch motor racing <laughs> with my a uh, good podcast friend um <laughs> and uh secondly it's a new format what was the format Dan? yeah so this is the uh formula one uh making a lot of changes over the next couple of years uh next year in fact i think it might be thursday it might be no thursday i think they're launching the new car uh what that looks like so they've got huge new regulations coming in next year new cars everything a lot of it trying to make the racing better also trying to bring costs down as well uh, and one of, the, one of the things they want to do is try and make it more exciting for fans and bring in new fans so they're experimenting with this thing called sprint qualifying which has been seen in other series but essentially uh, what that does is um, a typical formula one weekend is on the Saturday after various practice sessions, there is a qualifying session, which is three parts and then the top 10, uh, and that determines the order of the start grid for the race on the Sunday. So what they're doing with the sprint qualifying is they're going to do a normal qualifying session, just flat out who can get the fastest lap, uh, and that will determine the start of the sprint race. Uh, I think I'm getting this right. You might have to correct me where I'm wrong. Start of the sprint race on the Saturday or the sprint qualifying session rather, which is a 100 kilometer race. And uh, for uh, so the teams just go flat out. Um, they don't have tires to let, um, have to go for new tires or anything like that. They just go flat out as far as they uh, as fast as they can. And the order of that race determines the start of the main race on the Sunday. So I think I've got that right. But essentially what it's done is two things. One is it potentially throws in some unknown variables and mixes up the starting order for the main race on the Sunday. It gives a few teams opportunities to get a few more points through that. I can't remember off the top of my head what the points allocation is for the sprint qualifying. Um, but it also um, lengthens the weekend as well. So the qualifying now is on Friday evening. 
so people will still be able to watch it, or most people will still be able to watch it after work. Um, the qualif- then, so yeah, it's, it's, there's more exciting telly because not everybody watches the practice sessions. I've totally ham-fisted the explanation of that for anyone that's not new to Formula One is just lost right now. And it just shows that I'm not new to Formula One uh, and I'm into it and I can't even remember exactly what's supposed to be happening this weekend, but it should be exciting. (laughs) Okay, it should be exciting. Um, But one issue with Formula One at the moment is the good weather seems to be following the Formula One circuit. We have had... Uh, atrocious <laughs> weather. Okay, yeah. yesterday uh, most of England washed away. Okay, um, sadly not the racist. But uh, <laughs> going into this weekend, uh, it's not going to be raining. We're talking about thirty degrees, and uh, the fastest cars will win. So the actual race day might still be garbage, like the rest of the last five we've had. Uh, but I am super excited for the sprint race and yeah. evening. What time is that going on? Because I mean, it's getting darker again. So it's about six o'clock, I think, the, the qualifying on the Friday, and it's about four thirty on the Saturday. So, like you said, the sun's here, so the light will be here because the sun goes down just after nine still, um, and it's up, you know, just below the Midlands. So it's probably closer to nine nine thirty, you know, nine thirty or something like that in the evening. So, what's the time difference? <laughs> It's a different so, time zone. If, um, the sun sets later, Ben, the further north you go, that's the way it If works. it's 100 kilometers, <laughs> um, is that what, 20 laps of Silverstone? Uh, I don't know how long Silverstone is, but it's yeah. About it's about five and a half kilometers, maybe six yeah. kilometers. I, I think many people are skeptical. Many people are downright against it. I'm firmly in the camp of, fuck it, give it a go, see what happens. Like, if it doesn't work, if it's really crap, will they turn around and abolish it? Ugh. I'd like to think they might, but we we never know with Formula One. Um, but yeah, it's worth worth a punt to see what happens. It's a rapid track. It's a glorious track. The drivers love it, and uh, it'd be interesting to see something new. Are we going to compare the excitement against the last two awful Austrian races, or do we have to compare it against previous Silverstones? How do we uh, compare the success, evaluate the success of the new format? Well, I think fans will have different uh, metrics to Formula One. Formula One based their metrics on viewers, money brought in, tickets sold over the weekend. Uh, you know, it's a capacity event as well. 300,000. Remarkable. So they'll have completely different success criteria. The drivers, no doubt, will have their own say and huge sway in what happens next as well because they're mixed, I think, as well, mixed camps. Uh, I think so. Oh, do you know what? So, so what? Try something new. You don't try something new. Stuff doesn't move on and evolve. Now's the time to do it before they dive into the new regs as well. So, I for one, I'm looking forward to it. I think Silverson's always, always a joy to watch. Whether we get an exciting race or not, uh, yeah, we'll see. So there we go. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this last Wednesday of the week. Sai, it's an absolute delight to have you back. Um, but while you were away last week, I haven't forgotten, so don't you worry. <laughs> while you were away last week, you teased us with a little bit of news. What news do you have for us, Sai? So, um, what's going to happen is that, um, I am going to be in a second podcast. So, uh, I am going to be a very busy boy from now on, probably end up breaking down horrifically at some point in the near future but um 
you may or may not remember, recently we had an NFL preview show where a friend of mine, Ed, came on. Uh, we discussed a variety of things around the draft uh, at the time. Uh, he used to have a podcast called Shutdown Coverage, um, which is Shutdown Cover on Twitter. Uh, it was also available on the very, very popular um, podcast medium of um, Buzzsprout, which I'd never heard of, um, where he uh, distributes it as well. So um, he's going to have a new co-host, and that co-host is going to be me. So we're starting mm-hmm. actually recording on Wednesday for a Thursday release. Um, and we're going straight into previews for each division. So we're going to talk about the um, NFC East to start. So the Cowboys, the Eagles, um, et al., um, and we're going to go from there. So very excited. It's going to be a bit more focused on just the NFL. Uh, so if you've managed, you know, stayed with us and, and listened to stuff and tried to, you know, gather an interest in the NFL, or if you're already interested in the NFL before, um, this is going to be definitely up your alley. And if you're new to the sport and want to learn more, um, hopefully that should be good for you as well. So, um, yeah, please tune in and I will continue to try and advertise it uh, on here and, and vice versa. Obviously, I'm advertising this show on there as well. I'm literally super, super excited for this because I'm a a growing NFL fan. I need to know more about the sport coming into the new season, which is what, September time? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it was wicked chatting to Ed last time. So I can't wait to listen to you guys. Have you passed your medical yet for this? (laughs) I managed to pay the doctor off. So I'm, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Well, Sai, it's it's great, and uh, I, for one, I'm I'm very pleased that you'll be taking your NFL chat elsewhere. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> hey, uh, I know that you will bring some of that learning back. So, if you want to check out the show um, that Sai is talking about, we'll put the links in the show notes, of course. But that's Shutdown Cover on Twitter, and uh, you can check out the show that Ed joined us for uh, in our catalogue as well. So, all that's left for me to say is, I've been Dan. I've been Simon. I've been burned. Until next week, be kind to each other and uh, we'll see you on next week's last Wednesday of the week. Bye-bye. Bye.